a little word of warning that this podcast contains swears and use of explicit sexual language. Therefore, it is not suitable for anyone under the age of 18. I'm ahead of the game. Hello everyone, welcome back to the Smut Drop Podcast. This is, if you didn't know, a weekly roundup to the more eccentric side of sex and relationships from metro.co.uk. I'm Miranda Kane and on this week's show I'll be looking at how you can spot an energy vampire, chatting to an expert on gynaecological cancers and I'm going to be dipping into my fun bags for a random roundup of your sexy stories. If you like what you hear then please rate, review, subscribe, do it wherever you get your finest of podcasts and I hope you're ready because I know the doctor is ready to see you now. If there's one thing you can rely on metro.co.uk for, it's to open up your lexicon of dating terminology. And this week, it's no exception, because apparently now we've got to worry about energy vampires. Oh my God, what are these? Okay, look, so you might be like me. Uh, I'm a massive fan of a show called What We Do in the Shadows. And on there, there's an energy vampire called Colin. And he's this boring middle-aged man who's very monotonous and he sucks away all the fun and life out of a room and this podcast so I'm going to stop doing the voice now Uh, but if you don't know it go and watch it but now we've got energy vampires when it comes to dating and this apparently is used to describe someone who tends to take and demand more than they can give Okay, so let's dive in. What should we be looking out for? Apparently, an energy vampire is always someone who is part of the drama and needs to be centre of attention. An energy vampire will have no problem receiving negative attention as well as positive, as long as it means they're always involved in any given situation. I know someone like that. Uh, It's me. Uh, (laughs) uh, Secondly, they always need to be right if you find that your partner is stubborn, must win every argument and exhibits an overall self-righteous attitude. You might be dealing with an energy vampire. Oh, Metro, you are not doing me any favours here. They're also codependent. So if you're feeling anxious, then it might be because your partner is making you feel guilty about taking time for yourself before putting them first. Now, all is not lost. Maria Sullivan from Dating.com says that an energy vampire is someone who drains you emotionally when you're around them. And this can be anyone, including a best friend or romantic partner. Um, But if, like me, a couple of those have rung true, ask yourself these questions. Are you offering support to your partner in the way that they're offering it to you? I think I'm pretty good at that. I, I do like to make sure that they're looking after themselves and not just me. Uh, ask yourself, do you make time to ask about their day? Yeah, totally. That's the first thing I ask. And number three, do you let them have time with their friends without you around? Frankly, life would be boring if I was around them all the time. Um, and also... My partner doesn't exist, so that would be that would just be terrible. Um, but if the answer is no, then it's possible that you are the energy vampire in the equation. It's always important to take a step back and assess your relationships to see how you might need to adjust your behaviour to create healthier bonds. As in life, as in energy vampires, that's what we always say on this show. But I'll tell you who won't be sucking the life out of the room. It's this week's guest. 
Ladies and gentlemen, gays and theys, we might still be a bit squeamish about going for a smear. So to chat it all through and help alleviate some of your fears, I've invited this week's guest to give you a guiding hand. For over 17 years, she's been managing women's health issues at some of the top hospitals in London. She's won awards for her research into ovarian cancer. It's Dr. Shri Datta. Hello, hello. It's fantastic to be here. Thank you so much, Miranda. And I think this is such an important session. I'm delighted that you are doing it. Oh, thank you. Thank you. It's it's really important. And it's something that I just think gets so overlooked. Yeah. Do you find that even though you're in that kind of industry, is it still something that, that the medical profession are overlooking? Well, do you know what? Um, there are two areas to consider. Firstly, someone actually coming and recognising that their symptoms are abnormal. So that's the first hurdle. Oh, my God. Um, yeah. and we're working on that. We are working on that. Yeah. Uh, the second element, of course, is in us as doctors not getting confused because some of the symptoms are pretty generic. <laughs> and you've got bowel in there as well as your ovaries and your womb. So you might be thinking... Sounds like a bowel problem rather than an ovarian problem. So those are really the two touch points that I've come across predominantly when it looks at, when we take a look at diagnosis. Um, and as I said, we are beavering away at improving each of those fronts, but it ain't easy. It takes time, doesn't it, really? Oh so my gosh, yeah. We're getting there slowly. It must feel quite frustrating as a, you know, as a woman and as a doctor, you, you, you know, they've got all these different things that are, like you said, so close together inside your body. And, and it's so hard to tell where the pain's coming from, what's happening. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you've hit the nail on the head. And my advice always is, if you feel that something isn't right, come see us. Just come see us. We can check it over very easily. You know, we'll find out a bit more about you. Yes, we'll do an examination, but we'll try and make that as comfortable as possible. And an ultrasound and that peace of mind that you get, it's priceless. And if you do it six months, you know, within the first six months, that could make a major difference to the amount of treatment that you actually need. And that's one of the reasons why when you invited me, I was straight in there because... <laughs> It's so important to raise awareness so people know what kind of things to look for. So, yeah, keep up the good work. Um, and certainly we're, we're trying our best from our side in terms of hosting seminars and webinars on women's health. So, yeah, we'll keep going. Well, you know, do you know what, Doctor? As a podcast host, I am really trying my best for women's health issues. You know, it really is something yeah. that, uh, <laughs> I mean, frankly, without comedy podcasts about sex, where would the world of women be? That's what I want to know. No, actually, I think seriously, on a serious note, taking the comedy factor out, you are helping to normalise <laughs> conversations that are usually taboo. And that's so hard. I mean, you know, within two minutes of consultation, and bear in mind, we've got, what, 10, 15 minutes. I am talking about how heavy are your parents? You know, to women I've never met before. So anything that we can do to break that down is absolutely welcome. And I don't know if you know, but the Women's Health Strategy for England was published last week and it act actually acknowledged exactly that, the problems that women have accessing care. And even when we get there, being able to verbalise what the actual problem is. So, yeah. It's a double thumbs up from me. What you're doing is really important. So, yeah, you're doing it in a great way. Definitely. <laughs> thank you. Thank you from an actual doctor there. That is. 
<laughs> Let's start right at the beginning of the process. Let's go to yeah, 18 years old. No, it might be a bit older now. And you get your first letter for your smear test. What is what should happen then? Okay, so um, generally speaking, in England, you actually get your invitation around about your 25th birthday, usually just before, actually. Um, so the first thing to do is to make that all important appointment. So and often yeah. that can be the biggest step, right? It's kind of like if you're going for a run, putting your shoes on is actually the biggest factor. And then once you're out the house, you're off and away. Um, yeah. So actually making that ap appointment is really important. And if you can't muster up the energy to do that, then actually tell someone. Tell someone and make a fact of, of it and say, this week I'm going to book my survival smear and tell people. And then they, they're going to hold you accountable to it. So that's the first step. And then actually, when you've got your appointment, ask who's taking this cycle smear. Is it a nurse? Is it a doctor? Female, male? Are you comfortable? If not, change the appointment. You know, we, we have choices. We do actually have choices. See who else is available. And then my advice always would be dress appropriately, much easier, more comfortable if you just hitch up a skirt rather than having to undo your trousers, et cetera, et cetera. Try and avoid your period. We don't feel the best during our period most of the time anyway. So it's always nice just to um, not have to worry about period blood when going for a smear test. And if you're really nervous, take someone with you. Why not? And then get there in good time. Have something light to eat a couple of hours beforehand and tell your doctor that you're nervous or it's his first smear test or you find them uncomfortable. Then we can we know and tell us before we do the smear test. And if you needed an extra long speculum, which is the piece of equipment that we use, again, tell us in advance or tell us if you've had problems before. So we can adjust and tell you what to do, talk you through it or not, as the case may be, whatever is easier for you. And the actual process itself only takes about five minutes. We ask you to undress. Um, we take a look at the skin around the cervix once you've undressed and you're lying flatter on your back. Um, and then we gently insert something that looks like a duck's bill, believe it or not. These have not developed very much in the last century. And I know that because I've been to a museum that looks at these things, believe it or not. Um, and speculums have not changed their shape or structure in over a hundred years, but they are fantastic at giving us the best view that we need to see your cervix, which is the neck of the womb, and take the all-important smear. And that's the most important step, because what I don't want is to come back with an inadequate result where we haven't managed to collect enough cells. So having got you through the entire process, the last thing I want is to call you back and to say, we need to do that again, because we just didn't manage to get enough cells. So that's the most important step, I would say. Um, and results generally take about four weeks, can be faster, but on average, I would I would give it about four weeks or so. And by the time we've done your smear, actually, we can tell you if anything looks abnormal or is concerning at the examination itself. But it's not detailed enough to give us the microscopic level of information that the lab can give us. And that's why that step is really important. Um, we might ask about whether you've had any vaccinations for HPV before we take the smear, because that's actually really good at helping prevent cancer. Not exclusively, 
but it's pretty good from that perspective. I wanted to ask you about HPV because I've got a massive confession and me, I've spoken to a couple of women my age. I'm in my, I'm like, I've just turned 40 and we never got, obviously like, because the HPV vaccine is pretty new, so we never got the option for it. Is that something that older people should be looking for, looking at getting? Or is it like, no, you're slags, you've had sex. (laughs) Don't worry, don't bother, don't worry, it's fine. You know, I get asked about this by women of all ages. And in fact, more so by women in their 20s than in their 30s or or 40s. Mm. And I think the bottom line is, it depends on what your most recent HPV test result has been. If it's negative, then potentially you could think about the vaccination equally you haven't got it so far and if you did have it you've managed to clear it a bit like covid or the flu so you may be very good at clearing hpv women who i'd think about the vaccination for in a bit more detail is if we've if you have any kind of illness so diabetes or if you've got long-term illness such as hiv for example if you had a transplant makes you a little bit weaker at fighting infections like hpv and certainly covid for example so that's probably the cohort where i would actively discuss vaccination if you haven't had it um beyond that you know we're, we're testing for hpv so you would know whether that's starting to affect your cells or or not and certainly if if the hpv result is positive in a smear test that's when we'd start looking to see whether the cells look abnormal or not and if they do we'll invite you for a clinic appointment in the hospital and it's just that it's a clinic appointment which is a step more than doing the smear test. It's called a colposcopy appointment. Um, and effectively, again, we're looking at the cervix with the speculum that we, we used previously to take your smear, but we were applying two different solutions directly onto the cervix to see whether there are significant changes or not. And this is all within a 10, 15 minute appointment. So again, just to reassure everyone out there, you know, this is not something that you need to extensively be prepared for. Um, but again, you don't need you know, to go for your waxing. No, no, absolutely. I actually, in fact, I got asked by Metro about this a few months ago. And, you know, as a gynecologist, I just want you to come for your smear test. Um, (laughs) It's so funny. And I'm exactly the same when I'm the patient. But actually... I really don't care if you shaved at all. Okay, I'm not I'm not looking at that as a doctor's. It's more what the anatomy looks like and the structure um, that, that you're more interested in. So yeah, a few things to think about. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of thing do you have like any common questions that 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 come up from people when they when they come into your office? Gosh, all, all the time. Do you mean around smears or about periods or, you know? Oh, my God, both. Tell me or give me the smears first. Let's get the smear conversation out of the way because I bet everyone's really bored of listening to me say smear. But let's get that out of the way. And then we'll come back to periods because I've got so many questions. Okay, well, I guess the biggest factor around HPV and smears is about my partner actually I have to say that's a really big one and so again knowing the background between how long you've been sexually active single partner multiple partner any symptoms they've had how long you've had HPV for those are all questions that we would think about whether your partner needs to go for an HPV test which often isn't the case which is why for so long HPV vaccination has just been for women particularly in this country so that's the rationale behind it that's probably the biggest question I have around spinal smears and HPV but 
once someone gets an abnormal result, of course, the question is then, what does this mean, doctor? Will things ever go back to normal? And again, we can grade how abnormal the smear actually is from minor changes, grade one, right up to significant changes, which is grade three. But these are all changes that happen before cancer. That's the other big thing to underline. And that's why going for your smear test when you're called for it, now it's only every five years, it's actually really important. It's more so if we're moving to five years, because that's five years in between smears. So I can't underline the importance enough of when you get your smear test um, request to book in and check in as, as soon as possible for that. Yeah. Now, but it doesn't cover all the gynecological cancers, though, does it? No, no, you're absolutely right. So just to clarify, I'm going on about cervixes. What that means is it's the neck of the womb. So that's the part that the baby travels through, then travels through the vagina if ever you give um, birth, as it were. So, so it it is effectively the door to the womb. Um, and cervical smears are fantastic at identifying smear um, cancers of the cervix. But sometimes they also pick up cancers of the womb as well. It's a little bit less common, and we certainly don't do smears just for womb cancer, but it is sensitive enough to be able to pick up significant changes within the womb as well. So that's a byproduct, and it's not a, a key test of womb cancer, but it's a potential secondary use or another use of the smear test, as it were. So what it means is that if you're looking at things like ovarian cancer or less commonly vaginal or vulval cancer, which is the area just uh, the skin around the vagina effectively, then the smear test can't help us with that. But there are other signs that can. We'll come on to that, I'm sure, later. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's go for it. Come on, Dr. Shree, you're here. What else is the, the other thing? Well, this I actually wanted to talk to you about this anyway. So led me on to it nicely. So there are three things that I would really be looking at. Okay. Firstly, um, if there's any change in your periods. Um, so whether you've got any abnormal bleeding, just in between periods after sex, um, or if there's a change in the nature of period. So if it's really long, and if it's really heavy, not just a one-off, these things can happen, but if it's persistent every month, and that's where actually having an app or a diary just to monitor your menstrual cycle is actually pretty good because you might feel like it's super heavy, but actually is it? How many tampons, how many pads are you going through? Those are the kind of things that are quite useful when you come and see me for me to know. So I wasn't kidding when I said within two minutes of meeting me, we are going to get down and dirty into the detail, okay? We really do. <laughs> So sorry, that's normally my catchphrase. So sorry. <laughs> so that would be number one, definitely, without a doubt. Number two would have to be vaginal discharge. That can tell us so much. And what do I mean by vaginal discharge? When are you getting it? Is it every day? Is it because generally speaking, our vaginal discharge actually changes throughout the menstrual cycle, becomes thicker in the second half, a bit gloopier. Um, but if you're getting a change in colour, change in smell, if it's thick cottage cheese like, if things are a bit itchier, irritated, sore when you're having sex, those are all potential signs of infection, for example. But they can also relate to changes in the cervix. So those are all things that we're thinking about. And the final one, 
it's really around the skin on the outside. So when we're looking at vaginal vulval cancer, so the vulva is the skin just around the entrance to the vagina. And there you can get all sorts of skin changes. You can get discoloration, again, itching and irritation, tightness as you're having sex. And some of those changes we get as we get older, as we go and head towards the menopause because they're hormonal changes but equally could be a sign of vulval cancer. So again, don't hesitate to get these things checked out. Don't be embarrassed because, you know, we, we're doctors. We see, we're trained to see this all the time. So that's the biggest thing I would say, because a lot of my women are, well, it's probably nothing. But I thought whilst you're there, doctor, taking my snip, and it's like, yes, no, absolutely. Let me take a look. You know, we're checking both sides, might check around the back passage, could be warts. You know, there's so many different things that I'm thinking about. But it helps if you tell me so that I know where to look for, what to look for, what the changes have been, how long they've been there for. So quite a lot to go through. And it's quite important to try and get that detail out to me before I examine effectively. And it's so, I mean, these can all be symptoms of like, perimenopause or so many things I mean the other thing to think about actually I, I mentioned bowel symptoms and the other big thing is abdominal pain that's massive could just be related to your periods fine but what if it's there before your periods is it endometriosis you know yeah do you have a cyst in your ovary so that would be the other big factor I know it's not a vulval or vaginal cancer the problem there is because it's in the abdomen in your tummy well people go down the whole gut and bowel route do you have IBS you know things like that so it's quite important to make sure that we're also thinking about the ovaries at the same time yeah what what kind of things can we I know the answer to this the answer is going to be all the fun shit isn't it what can we do what what are the risk factors what can we do to help out our our lovely little lady bit if you're looking at cancers there are different risk factors for different cancers that's the first thing to say by avoiding this, yeah. avoiding that. So, for example, having children can protect you from certain types of cancer, but not others. Okay. Um, smoking is yeah. generally protective for cervical cancer, ovarian cancer. Um, taking hormones in the long, long term can also affect things, not just hormones as in the pill, but actually you're also looking at HRT. That can also affect your risk of um, womb cancer. So those are the general types of risk factors. But when it comes to everyday life, the things we can do are just try and, and have a healthy lifestyle and do things in moderation. So and when it comes to self-care and self-love of the vagina, warm water is all we need. We don't even need to internally douche. You don't need any scented um, detergents, nothing like that, because that can actually strip the vagina of its natural bacteria and it's, it's quite finely tuned down there actually you know we don't feel like it most of the time we don't notice these things but you know in the same way as you wouldn't generally put soap in your mouth you, you don't actually need to do do that down below and if you do notice vaginal discharge changes then actually come see us first yeah okay but it's so tempting it's so tempting <laughs> to wash and cleanse down below but actually if it's persistent and it's not you then I want to know about it because you know that that should not be happening so maybe there's another cause for it effectively I think that's really what I quite like is um I love like the fact you know you're so open and so bright about these things it's not like oh we have to be you know really dour about all these things it's like no this is this is something that's a a, a good part of your 
anatomy and that does a lot of things and there's yeah. a lot of mysteries around it but it can all be it can all be looked at and I I really really like what you were saying about if you're not feeling comfortable tell someone and if you don't want to see if you you know if you want to see a few like of you know if you want to see a particular doctor or a particular nurse then then let your surgery know yeah no absolutely absolutely we've got choices these days so the problem is people don't know about them and and that's that's why I think the raising awareness the education side of things and talks like this are so important um so that women know that they do have choices they don't just need to go down that one narrow path and there are so many options and by the time they've come to see me unfortunately you know they've gone through those struggles and that's one of the reasons why I'm I now promote these kind of conversations, podcasts, webinars, seminars that a lot of organisations are now offering for their employees. And the same, hopefully, will be taken up by schools, because actually that's where we can start influencing people's um, approach to healthcare. It's just such a shame that it's not taught within the curriculum, because that would really embed ownership of health. And if there's anything we've learned through COVID, let's be honest, if you don't have your health, you're not doing anything so if you're from one of the cultural backgrounds where it's not you know that accepted about and you're a bit worried like what kind of things should they be doing well going to your doctor is probably the easiest thing and but if it's not then your workplace school they may have alternative options friends that, that those those are such big sources of our healthcare knowledge, actually. Um, and of course, online. So I do get approached by people who found me on the internet. So do a web search. We're, we're searching for everything else. Why not about smears and services yeah. in our health? You know, if, if anything, that should take a priority. That should be the first thing we do every day. Um, so, so there are lots of ways around it. You just might need to think creatively. That's all. What are some of the biggest myths that you you've come across that people have come totally convinced about there are so many myths about periods and I sometimes I just fall I have to stop myself falling off my chair <laughs> that people are still thinking about this so the most recent one I had was last week over dinner and we were talking about diving and one of the girls said oh no I don't think I can go that week because I might be on my period obviously as a gynecologist my ears prick up <laughs> why diving periods I'm not making a connection yeah. there you know there's so many different products that you can use and that was my first thought but actually do you know what her concern was her concern was if she is period yeah. bleeding she might attract sharks <gasps> I could not believe it I could not believe it in this day and age I get asked that so many times at least I would say twice a year <gasps> seriously okay so to the point where actually a couple of years ago I actually looked to the research because I thought do you know what I should actually double check and make sure that all this stuff that I'm saying is actually true and I can certify it is it's not a thing okay in the same way as vegans do not eat certain products it's the same thing with sharks and that is what they put down in the literature so it is as basic as that so I hope I hope that is massively reassuring (laughs) to the population of prospective divers at least so that is a really common question (laughs) what about what about swimming on your period what is the the (laughs) well oh my god I I get I I get asked about what can I do during my period I have said you know can I go swimming everything you can do everything you feel comfortable with and there's so many different forms of period protection 
um, menstrual cups, of course, but of course there are so many other different types of protection that are now available that are perfectly safe. If you're really worried, then actually strategically just look at what day of your period you're actually on so if you know you're really heavy on day two maybe don't go swimming on day two maybe do gentle pilates <laughs> and then maybe by day four um think about menstrual cup or tampon anything that's um internal um and can be used and these days again there's so many different products to look at there's a really good period pants that are available if if you don't like anything invasive so we've got lots of options it's just about doing that research speaking to your friends again um, who can give you advice on how to put a moon cup in how frequently to change them that's really important and what to look for so you know it's, it's just about finding what you're comfortable with there is something for everyone out there definitely whatever they want to do whatever time of the month yes absolutely absolutely so, so the biggest factor for me there is don't stop exercising maybe rethink the type of exercising you're doing but actually sometimes we feel a bit grumpy on periods and exercise we know improves our endorphins and our moods so yeah don't, don't just think oh I'm on my period maybe just think different type of exercise that's all it's free serotonin so yeah. you know go and grab some it's fine absolutely absolutely and we're producing ourselves we don't need to go out and buy it you know yeah. Bingo. <laughs> with the cost of living going up we need all the freebies we can get <laughs> Don't need to find some dodgy bloke under a bridge in Camden Town for that kind of drug. Easy. Uh, if there was, if there was anything, I always ask people when they're giving advice, what is the the biggest thing? If you could skywrite it, pop it on a bumper sticker, pop it on a t-shirt, what would be the piece of advice that you would want anyone of any age to 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 think about when when it comes to gynecological cancers and preventing them? You're gonna roll your eyes because it's so obvious, but if it ain't right, then I want to see you. That's the bottom line. So as soon as you you think that this is persistently not me, you know, yeah. if it's a one-off, then fine. But if it's a repeated pattern of changes to bleeding, persistent tummy pain, or if it's getting worse, then just don't look left, don't look right, don't let your hesitation stop you. Come and see your doctor. Um, and if you're not ha- happy with your doctor go and see another doctor. There's yeah. there's quite a few of us out there. So we're all happy to see you. Keep talking about it, to ask your friends about it and just normalise the conversation so that you can have the confidence to go to a doctor early and yeah. to, you know, make sure that everything is as it should be. Brilliant. Thank you so much for joining us today. If people want to find out a bit more about you and um, get in contact, where can they find you? So my website is www.herthhealthcare.co.uk. Um, I'm Shree Datta. Brilliant. Thank you very much, Dr. Shree Datta. Thank you. Take care. My thanks to Dr. Shree Datta there. Oh, wasn't she fun? I sometimes it can be so worrying when you're talking about cancer and all of these things which can be so life-changing and so devastating that sometimes you just block your ears and you don't want to listen to things but I think the way that Dr Shree describes everything and how helpful she is and how she wants you to go to the doctors early and to to have all your smear tests done and no one cares about your pubic hair no one cares about what you're wearing no one wants you know no one's worried about any smells or anything they want you to go and they want you to get yourself checked out and when you've got people like Dr Shree out there who are rooting for you and who are working to make sure that it's a lot more 
accessible and that it's a lot more easier for you to go, then go and take advantage. And I really hope that that has helped you and given you some advice and given you some guidance and maybe settled some nerves about going for your smears or going to get yourself checked out if you have been worried about any of your periods. I know that it happens to me. I know that it happens to my friends. Like we all get a bit worried about discharge and whether your periods are too heavy or whether this pain is normal. So I feel really actually quite buoyed about, you know, going to see the doctor and knowing that I've got options and and asking for those options. Anyway, let's go and hear some listener stories. Okay, now normally we do like to theme the listener stories. However, we get quite a lot of messages from you lovely people that just can't quite go into their own little genres. So this week I'm doing a little random roundup of all the sexy stories that haven't quite fitted into the themes of the week so far. Uh, But I wanted to tell you all about them anyway. (laughs) Um, Aaliyah rightfully asks, have you done an episode on weird sex injuries yet? No, we have not. uh, But rest assured, it is now on the schedule. And she says that after a long lockdown away from each other, my boyfriend finally made it into the UK and we spent the next three days making up for lost time. As is your right and proper duty, Aaliyah. Well done. And she goes on to say, it would have been longer, but on day three, I had to go to A&E because my vag got so painful I could barely walk. Oh, dear. Oh, no. (laughs) She said, I spent four hours in the waiting room accusing him of giving me an STI, only to be told that we had just been, and I quote, and this is in speech marks, enthusiastic. Oh, it turns out that he had traumatised my cervix, which is a medical term for maybe we should just try using lube next time. Oh, Leah. Oh, no. I've never quite heard of it. It's called uh, traumatising your cervix before. But thank you for opening up my mind and my dictionary. Uh, Anon on Instagram, and I know this person, and she's also a sex worker, and (laughs) we have talked about this story quite a lot in the pub, but she says, I just wanted to remind you of the time I went on a date with a guy whose first words to me were, so I'm a bit homeless right now. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's not a good start to a date. Then he only drank the free water in the coffee shop because he was apparently protesting rather than just being cheap. To make conversation, and because I'm nosy, I asked him about his worst dates. At first, he said it was the woman who wanted to pretend she was a corpse. But then he went on to say, but the very worst one was the one who turned out to be an escort. (gasps) How dare he? Not sure about you, Mary, but I'm quite happy to be a bad date for someone like that. Quite right. <laughs> Absolutely. I always say I like to use it as a filter. Um, like, quite frankly, if someone isn't cool about knowing someone or going out with someone who is a sex worker, then frankly, they're not someone I want to know anyway. It's a great filter. Anyway, next week, I'm going to be chatting to an expert who helps middle-aged men discover their desirability because, let's face it, if anyone needs help. uh, So I want your tales of middle-aged madness. Did someone shave a few years off their dating profile? Maybe they got a bit liberal with the filters. Perhaps you've tried to be a sugar baby or... Or a sugar daddy. Tell me all about it. 
Tell me by sliding into my DMs. Just look out for Miranda Kane on Twitter, TikTok and Instagram. Or you can email smutdrop at metro.co.uk. And you can also send voice notes there too. And if you want to hear the ones we love, then please remember to subscribe right now. I've been Miranda Kane. Smut Drop was produced by Pineapple Audio Production for metro.co.uk. And if you've enjoyed being handcuffed to this bed of lovely erotic then please leave me a nice review in the meantime i'm going to be back to prick up your ears next week 